Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. You are listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we're scouting the Steelers as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 276. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with Ben Fennell about the Eagles' week five game against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Ben is a huge part of the production of Eagles game plan, so we will talk about what went into getting this week's show ready, keys to victory for the Eagles, and some big matchups and stats for this game, all at the top of the show in Chalk Talk. After that, Ben and I will go through our scouting report segment, and this week, I wanted to focus on one of the blue-chip players on this Steelers team, and that's pass rusher T.J. Watt. Now, last week, we talked about a player Ben and I both loved in college in Fred Warner, and he's turned into one of the best linebackers in football. This week, it's a little bit of a different conversation because Ben and I were not as high uh, on T.J. Watt when he was coming out of Wisconsin, and he's obviously turned into one of the most productive pass rushers in the league. So we'll talk about his game and how he can impact this week's matchup when he he will lined up almost exclusively over the right tackle. So we'll cover all of that in scouting report. Um, the show does not end there, though, because at the end of today's show, I caught up with Eagles defensive end Brandon Graham, one of my favorite players in the building, and we talked all about his growth as a pass rusher from college to the NFL, his athletic background, when things really kind of clicked for him uh, here in the league. So we'll talk all about that with BG. And ironically enough, Brandon Graham was actually the subject of a new segment that I just debuted this week over on the Journey to the Draft podcast, and that segment is called Scout Stories, where each week I will catch up with a member of the Eagles personnel staff and talk about the players that are on the Eagles than when they were coming out of college. We'll talk about the player evaluation process, you know, the traits that they showed, and then also just try and have a little bit of a takeaway of what we can learn from that player and his transition from college to the NFL. So you can go find that this week on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. So before we get to the rest of the show, just a couple of little housekeeping things. Wanted to make sure that we hit on here. Uh, as a quick reminder, the best way to throw us your support is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating or leave us a comment. Uh, if you've got a question on there, I will make sure to respond it right here on the show. Also, I've mentioned uh, Eagles Game Plan earlier when I talked about Ben. And before I get to my chat with Ben, I wanted to give a little bit of a tease to a segment on this week's show where I caught up with Eagles quarterbacks coach and uh, pass game coordinator Press Taylor to break down a few plays from Sunday night's win over the 49ers. Here's a small bite from that segment. Again, that segment is called Tape Study, presented by Chickies and Pete's. Let's look at one of the biggest plays of this game, a 42-yard touchdown pass from Carson Wentz to Travis Fulgham. Take us through this play, and we'll, uh, we'll talk it through as we watch it. Yeah, obviously not a situation you want to be in, second 18, but this is something we like to carry against these styles of of defenses. And this is something that, honestly, we ran earlier in the game in the second quarter. We ran it out of a a 12 personnel set and got covered up pretty good. I think it ended up in a throwaway and kind of came to the sideline and said, hey, let's do this out of 11 personnel. gives us a better matchup. We'd also, we'd thrown a 14-yard stop to Travis there in the second quarter, called another one in the third quarter that got checked down to Richard Rodgers. And so it was kind of something, too, we'd said, hey, if we get pressed into the boundary, let's take our shot with Travis on the go down here. And so the defense presented that opportunity. Travis and Carson were on the same page. This was all within the concept of the play, but 
This is definitely an alert versus press. And really, what's great about it is it's all on time. Carson's on time. The pocket's clean. The ball's up early. Travis does a great job fighting for space, working to stack a guy, and then, you know, he really had no choice but to catch the ball the way we threw that one there. So there's great execution between those two. And, you know, as a coach, the best part about it was if you go back to our Wednesday practice, we threw a touchdown to Travis on the left side of the field about the same spot right here that was pretty sweet. So when you see that carry over to a game, that makes you feel really good. Talk about that relationship between those two guys. Obviously, they haven't spent a ton of time being right. able to work together. You know, they talked about only running it that one time in practice. Uh, is there, like, coaching going on, like, in the huddle, on the sideline? Oh, what, what is that dynamic like on game day when he's called up the day before? Yeah, there, there's a lot of work that goes in on the side. I mean, obviously, we get all the reps that are in practice, but then we'll pull Travis over to the side with us on a separate field and go through really every kind of route that he has in the plan and make sure we throw it and that the two guys are comfortable on what they're expecting with those. And there's been, honestly, no bigger advocate for Travis than Jalen and Nate. You know, they spent a lot of time getting to throw to him on practice squad looks, scout squad looks, and they were really supportive of him. They were hyping him up to Carson. So, you know, putting in that extra work on the side with those guys, I think that resulted in an opportunity right here and a big, big part of the game for us. It was a really cool segment uh, with Coach Taylor, so make sure you go check that out. We broke down a few plays um, from the game, including a couple of touchdowns courtesy of Carson Wentz. So for in that entire segment, make sure you go check out Eagles Game Plan, which will be up on PhiladelphiaEagles.com on Friday morning, after, mid-afternoon uh, on the Eagles mobile app, as well as on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. If you live here in the Philadelphia area, you can always check it out on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. on NBC10. It will be a special time this week due to the French Open, 7.30 in the morning on NBC10 Philadelphia. But like like I said, you can always check it out on the PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app. I'll be tweeting it out on my Twitter page as well. All right, let's talk. We talk about Eagles game plan. Let's talk about the guy who is just critical to the production of that show every week. That's time to dive into our chat now with Ben Fennell in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. Well, excited to jump into this matchup, Eagles-Steelers, with my friend Ben Fennel. Ben, uh, let's jump right in, man. We, we just got done this morning uh, recording this week's version of Eagles game plan with Mike Quick, Ike Reese, John Clark, uh, Greg Cosell. We did earlier this week as well. And the two big things that we focused on in terms of this matchup, the Steelers and their pressure package defensively, because there's a lot of layers there. And then uh, offensively, it was the power run scheme, the gap run schemes up front. So we're going to hit on kind of both those things and, and why we decided to go that direction on both sides of the ball. And I guess we'll start with the Steelers defense. And like I said, just a lot of layers with that defensive front and with that pressure package because obviously they've got an outstanding front four, you know, with, with Watt and Dupree and Hayward and Tuitt. Those guys can all win one-on-one. But they also have a great blitz scheme and a lot of different stunts and twists as well. So take, take us through the decision, I guess, we can talk this out, why we decided to go that way with that defensive front. Well, it's clearly, you know, how they make their money on defense. A very physical, violent front seven. They gear up to stop the run. I think they're the number one run defense in the NFL. And then they get after the passer. They have some guys that win one-on-ones, but they don't really ask them to a whole lot. They lead the NFL in the percentage of stunts and twists. They lead the NFL in blitz volume, tons of attacking the quarterback pocket, tons of attacking uh, downhill and into the box there with safeties and linebackers. And Mike Hilton's a great nicking, uh, blitzing nickelback. Yep. Um, just a lot of violent physical players up front, whether it's Devin Bush and Vince Williams, the inside linebackers, or Bud Dupree and TJ Watt, the outside linebackers, and inside Stephen Tuitt, Cam Hayward, the resurgence of Tyson Alawalo. This is a group that's just a bunch of no-nonsense guys. 
not a whole lot of finesse in those five, six, seven no. names I just listed there. No. So when you watch them on tape, they're physical, they're violent, and they're a nasty group. They're really fun to watch. And that's why I feel like, you know, we think about the Steeler front. We were talking about it with Greg uh, earlier this week. You know, yeah, like historically, you may not think like with that front that they don't blitz that much, but you mentioned. I mean, that, that was the key, th- my key takeaway from what you just said. They blitz more than anybody and they stunt more than anybody through their first three games, you know, by percentage. Now, I do wonder how much of that was the opponent. You know, you're going up against Deshaun Watson, who has not always been great against pressure. You're going up against Daniel Jones, a young quarterback. Uh, who was their third opponent? Did they play the Jets? Or who, I'm trying to remember who that third opponent was. But, you know, they, these were young quarterbacks. Uh, the Broncos, yeah. The Broncos, yeah, exactly. But so collectively, going- Giants, Broncos, Texans, not the offensive line, you know, premier groups of the NFL at the moment. Exactly. But if that's the sample that we're going off of, you got to go into this game preparing for all of that. If you're Jeff Stoutland, if you're Deuce Staley, uh, obviously with Carson Wentz as well, you're preparing for what they've done on tape. And what what they've done on tape, this is a a team that's going to be able to bring the heat. And they bring it from so many different angles. You know, you mentioned both linebackers, Bush and Williams are very involved. Hilton, one of the best blitzing slot corners. You'll see safeties every once in a while as well. The Eagles have to be ready for for everything that they're going to throw at them. Yeah, absolutely. I think they're really going to be stressed mentally this week as well as physically because of all the different blitz schemes, twisting. The communication is going to be important with a young, inexperienced offensive line of the Philadelphia Eagles more worried about the between-the-ears play than the actual handling the you know hand-to-hand combat. So if you're the Eagles going into this, what are some of the ways that you combat that? You know, If you have a team that's high-volume blitz – what are some of the things that you could outside of obviously like picking it up, being a Simon sound, but what are the things schematically in the game plan that can be done to kind of counteract that? Well, it's a couple things. First and foremost, avoid blitz situations, third and medium, third and long, stay on schedule, run the ball on early downs and keep, you know, the defense guessing by staying on schedule on early downs. And if you get into those third and longs, those are the times they're going to dial it up because they know you're going to pass. Uh, so when you do get in those situations, you got to help out your offensive line and the quarterback by moving that launch point. We covered that with Greg Cosell and some of our guys this week in Eagles game plan. If you just do straight drop back pass and you keep a consistent launch point for the quarterback, that means it's a consistent attack point for the defense, whether it's blitzers, pass rush. If you can change up where you're throwing that ball. So we're talking about the boot action off play action, the sprint outs, moving the pocket for the quarterback, all that stuff. Now there's pros and cons. When you move that quarterback outside the pocket, you're typically limiting the area of the field you can work. It's more of design uh, rollouts with half field reads and flood actions and things like that. But there's pros and cons to everything. So I think you just need to be balanced with moving that launch point for the quarterback and keeping the defense off balance with where they're attacking. Yeah, that's a, a great, great point. And you, know, you mentioned the, the the big part of that is uh, obviously you're moving the launch point, but then you're also you know you're cutting the field in half for the quarterback. So guys have to be able to get open, uh, and the ball's got to come out on time because since you're only working with half the field. You know, the, those spaces can close quickly. So the, it's got to be decisive. It's got to be sharp uh, on both ends of the spectrum there. Uh, so that's a great point as well. The screen game, look, the Eagles continue to try and find ways to, to hit it. They had a really nice one uh, this past week to Zach Ertz. But overall, the screen game has not hit. We'll see if they're able to, to get a couple of these screens going against this team. But look, they're, they're going to have to find ways to manufacture 
uh, offense against this defense. You, you, you did a great job pulling numbers. I mean, they're at the top of the list or near the top of the list in so many categories defensively. They're the best run defense in the NFL right now. So the Eagles are going to have to find ways to be able to move the football, once again, being shorthanded, not just in the skill position department, but along the offensive line as well in this game. And we'll talk about some of those matchups here coming up. Let's go over to the other side. And we talked about uh, you know, the, the gap scheme runs you know, with, with what you're going to see here with Pittsburgh. Take us through why we decided to go that route, because obviously they've got a, a talented group of pass catchers. They've got the two tight ends, obviously Big Ben. But we decided to go the route of the run game. Why do you feel like that was the most important thing for us to be able to talk about this week uh, on the show? Yeah, just spinning it back for one quick second. Some of these yeah. other schemes on offense, we just mentioned moving the, the quarterback launch point, the screen game. You could always go to empty as well. A lot of people think empty is trying to spread the defense out to attack a spacing offense and a spacing pass game. That's a great point. But but what it does is eliminate potential threats on the quarterback and the offensive line, something the Eagles have gone to in the past as well. So you might see that. And I love that. I love that too, because this is a great disguised team, which we'll talk about. And that by going empty, you kind of eliminate some of that. The old defensive truth serum. That's right. uh, It's tough to disguise. But going to the Steelers' offensive side of the ball, I just think it's very interesting how their offense is designed in 2020 because they seem to be ebbing when everybody else in the league seems Mm. to be flowing. And that flowing is a very heavy, dependent lean on the outside zone run game that you see in Green Bay, Sam Fran, Sean McVay. That whole coaching tree lives and breathes off of the outside zone run game. Not the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're a gap run team. They're a power run team. They're a downhill run team. And there aren't many teams in the league really using this as their primary run schemes. Really, the Baltimore Ravens are one, the Arizona Cardinals, and the Steelers are really the teams not using a whole lot of zone runs. And their profile, their offensive linemen fit what they want to do. And the profile of the running backs fit what they want to do. They have some big, burly downhill uh, running backs and James Conner and Benny Snell. They have some big, burly offensive linemen that love to move people in the run game and get vertical displacement. They have offensive linemen that are great pullers on the move, like David DeCastro. A lot of counter, a lot of power. It's just a different type of run scheme that you see in 2020 NFL. And I think it's just really interesting that they're successful at what they do and they have players to complement that scheme. It used to be, you know, in, in NFL yesteryear, like you go back to like the 90s and, and the early 2000s, teams were one or the other. And it was, all right, you're a zone team, you're a, you're a, a gap team. And most teams at that point were gap teams. Um, now we've seen, obviously, really the most teams, you're doing everything. You are you have to be multiple in today's NFL. If you're, if you're going to be only one thing, that can be difficult and obviously kind of ties you down a little bit. We did a, a segment with uh, Coach Jeff Stoutland, the Eagles offensive line coach and run game coordinator, back in the summer. It was our coaches' masterclass series where we talked about the differences between zone gaps or zone schemes and gap schemes along the offensive line in the run game. And you know, he talked about how they can complement each other really, really well. So I just want to real quick just get the elevator speech. What are the differences between zone schemes on the offensive line and gap schemes? Like when we say that, what does that mean? Like kind of paint the picture for the listener. Well, in a very kind of nuts and bolts term, man schemes, you have designated man blocking assignments. You have a person to block while zone schemes, you're blocking an area. And that picture in front of you may change. You're working and continuing in your area. Now, what that does for the running backs, gap schemes, point of entry schemes, as they're also called, have defined areas that you're trying to hit the run. Zone schemes typically give running backs multiple options to assess 
after the ball has been snapped, which gap has been compromised or where there's better leverage and it lets them pick and choose. I can't remember the three terms of hitting at the front side, the cutback or the backside for runs, but, um, Bang it, bang, bang, bounce, bend, and there's a fourth B. Bash, a, something bash, like that. Bash, yeah, that's right. There, but uh, I'm just trying to be very simple terms of explaining yep. zone and gap, and that's really what it is. In certain running backs, profile better in certain schemes. Some of those gap scheme running backs, we've called the point of entry backs, the LeGarrette Blunts of the world, want to get rolling downhill and not have to whole lot of move your feet in the backfield or chatter or make decisions. It's full force straight ahead. The Jordan Howards of the world, APs of the world. Zone schemes, you want that one cut running back, the one with the good vision, the good start and stop, because you're going to typically come to a complete stop and make another decision out the back door. So it's different strokes for different folks and different traits for each scheme. That's kind of the nuts and bolts of the uh, the zone and the gap scheme runs. Love it. Well, let's bring it back to the, the production of Eagles game plan this week in terms of this matchup. Uh, you know, we talked about the things that we got in in terms of this Pittsburgh versus first first Philly. Was there something that in your mind got left on the cutting room floor? You you wish that we had gotten into the show for me, uh, and I kind of teased it earlier. Was the Steelers disguise in coverage? We talked about that, um, you know, with Greg Cosell earlier this week in terms of you know what they do on the back end. They're very multiple. You'll see Mike Hilton line up in the slot and then drop back to free safety. You'll see all just kind of a lot of pre and post snap movement to try and mess with the eyes of the quarterback and make you have to read things both pre snap and post snap. Was there something uh, in your eyes that we? Kind of left on the cutting room floor that we didn't quite uh, find a way to get into the show? You know, the blitzing is interesting, obviously. There's their dominant run defense. It's not the sexiest thing for TV, but their run defense is dominant. Love the resurgence of Tyson Alawalu, the former top t- top 10 pick, now looking like a, another type of Pro Bowl caliber player. Yeah, They also lead the NFL and using six offensive linemen. But at the end of the day, some of the notes I just wrote down, Fran, Big running backs, big offensive line, power football, 6-0 linemen, blitzing, run defense. What are we talking about? These Pittsburgh Steelers have the same identity over the last, like, 30 years. Right, yep. You know, watching Devin Bush and Vince Williams, it's like watching LeVon Kirkland and Greg Lloyd in the mid-'90s. It just has that same vibe, you know? It's just that same feeling. I think it's just so fun that certain teams and organizations have an identity and it kind of still continues through certain eras, certain certain regimes, schemes, coaching changes. But the Steelers are the Steelers. And it's just really fun to kind of lean to all those classic football nostalgic terms. If you think of the Steelers, it's 2020. It still has that feeling. Well, you have three coaches in 40 years. I, I think that'll do it. And I think, too, the, the big thing, you mentioned it earlier talking about that defense, it's just a bunch of violent, explosive – that's the thing is that they're built – like you mentioned the comparison to LeVon Kirkland and Greg Lloyd – Obviously, you look at these guys, they're built differently. It comes in a different package, but it's that mentality. It's that mindset. It's that culture. Like, I mean, it's still, that's the mirror image is like, these guys just want to punch you in the mouth. And that, that's the way they are very, very aggressive, very violent. They're explosive and powerful. It's a, it's a really good group uh, defensively and offensively. It's a smash mouth group as well, even though they will throw it, um, you know, a good amount with those pass catchers, but uh, yeah, really good stuff. But Fran, um, like when you're building your D linemen and you're building those pass rushers and we study the draft so much, what are we always talking about? Flexibility, twitch, explosiveness. They don't have a whole lot of twitchy guys in this front seven. Hmm. This is a no nonsense group. Steven to it. 
He's never twitched in his life. He, he's not twitching for anyone. He's making you go right through him. He is a massive player. Cam Hayward, you know, that, even Dupree, you know, that's how he wins. TJ Watt, that's how he wins. Brute strength, being strong, physical, relentless. Mm. You know, it's just kind of interesting that the profile, everybody wants these bendy, long edge rushers to turn the corner. Not the Steelers. Mm. <laughs> and it's just funny that they all kind of have that profile. And I really think they feed off each other's style. So staying with that, I'll go to my one-on-one matchup that I'm most excited to watch in this game. And that, and that is going to be Jordan Mailata against Bud Dupree. And, and I do want to get your thoughts on Jordan Mailata. We, I talked about how I saw him um, from his first start. But uh, to me, like, look, Jordan comes into this game. Uh, last week he had played – before last week he had only played 20 snaps in regular season action. He played 62 last week. Now the Steelers have that week of film. Now what? What what does he see now? And I think you're going to look at uh, what this – not just from a mental standpoint, but from a physical standpoint. Bud Dupree has been studying Jordan Mailata all week, and he has a a sense of his sets, and that's going to be the matchup. They don't move these guys around. Like, Dupree is going to come off the left tackle side. Um, He'll find ways to win with speed. He can go speed to power. Is Jordan Mailata ready for that level of of player? Because Dupree now has been game planning for Mailata. It's going to be a really fun matchup to watch, a pivotal one in this game for sure. You know, I went back through the tape last night, Fran, and I love kind of just breaking down these polarizing players to just a very simple conversation. And when I went back through Jordan Mailata, the only time he got himself in trouble or will get himself in trouble, in my opinion, for the rest of the season, are all self-inflicted wounds. Mm. Because when you watch the whole game, the hands, consistently tight, punch inside. He's not a hugger. And he has independent hand usage. The feet, very quick-footed, very light on his feet, and the balance. He was barely on the ground for him. This is a guy that just isn't sloppy. He doesn't have sloppy movements. He's a balanced player. He's an athletic player, has very good fundamentals and technique. Doesn't get himself into trouble a whole lot. He doesn't waistband. He doesn't lunge and reach. It's almost like play your game, stay calm, and you're probably going to survive for 90% of the game and look okay. The only time he gets himself into trouble are things that he does to himself. And now I'm interested this week with the mental processing, the stunts, the twists, the blitzes. They're going to toy with him. They're going to mess with him mentally. That I get worried about. But as far as just the physical, I was blown away, friend. Yeah, he uh, he certainly is uh, a really intriguing talent in terms of what he can do uh, from a physical standpoint. Who's your matchup you're most excited to see? Well, there's a couple there. Obviously, Fletcher Cox and David DeCastro is always a, a worthy matchup. I want to see if they bring Minka down to maybe guard Zach Ertz. We've seen Sean Davis in the past match up against big tight ends like Gronkowski in the past. Um, and then Vince Williams at linebacker. He's a blitzing linebacker, and he will embarrass you if you are not on your P's and Q's and pass pro. So I want to see him and Miles Sanders on maybe some third downs uh, with some big collisions in the backfield. All right, so take us through uh, every single week. I ask you for stat of the week. I know you've pulled a bunch of numbers. What's a stat or two that you feel is going to be really pivotal in this matchup? Yeah, a couple. I'll give you one or two on each side. So we already did mention the heavy blitzing, heavy stunning, most in the NFL. Other thing is it's a very vanilla defense. Second highest cover three usage, single high. I really think the Eagles are going to try to attack the zone this week. And very little involvement from rookies on the defensive side of the ball for the Steelers. Very veteran group. Offensively for the Steelers, just very interesting style. 
They lead the NFL with the most six offensive linemen groups. They're yep. going to try to get big and physical on you. And they run and pass out of those sets. So it's not just no when question. they could, yeah, But well, the interesting the thing, thing yep. is they're a bottom dweller with play action. Yep. So this is a team that runs the ball. They're physical. They like to blow you off the line of scrimmage. They don't take a whole lot of shot plays. Yep. So I know they want to with Claypool and Deontay Johnson and get the ball down the field a little bit more. But it's just a very different style offense than we've seen. Yeah, that's a good point. And, and it's not a a, play, a deep shot offense, as you mentioned. It's not a, the, I forget where, I think we had talked about, um, you know, whether average depth of target was for, I think it was for Ben 28th of like 35 yeah. qualifying quarterbacks. That's yeah, right. not a that's team pushing the ball. I know they want to, to James Washington. Yep. Uh, and the other weird stat of the week for them, they only have two players on IR. In 2020, when you have some teams dipping into the 15, maybe 20 players collectively, that's opt-outs, IRs, exempt suspensions, two players, both offensive linemen and Zach Banner and Stefan Wisniewski, our old buddy. But considering we're heading into week five and that's their injury report, pretty impressive. Yeah, no question. It's certainly uh, something to keep an eye on in this game. And nobody on defense. I mean, it's it's great. And they had no opt outs. Um, you know, that's you know they've had a lot of luck so far in the injury department. Uh, how about let's empty your notebook here, man? Go around the league. Any, any big takeaways from stuff that you studied throughout the course of the week? Yeah, really fast, rapid fire. We mentioned Jeremy Chan at the Carolina Panthers. Great rookie production from a number of players. Derek Brown looked great last week. Your Gross Matos out of Penn State had his first sack. Troy Prize playing a lot of snaps for him as well. Really interesting player. Panthers Josh, very young. Yep. Josh Allen, what a season he's having. Inside the 30, 11 touchdowns, zero interceptions, nearly 78% passing on third down. No third down interceptions. He looks sharp. The run of the ball well. Really fun offense to watch. They're clicking. That Bills team is really fun to watch. Green Bay Packers, man. Aaron Rodgers, no turnovers this year. No turnover-worthy plays. He's playing within structure, playing within rhythm of the offense. Really fun to watch. Not putting that ball in harm's way at all. And then kind of an unsung group of this uh, NFL so far. The Colts' defense. Mm. Quietly, a very dominant group, particularly up front with Grover Stewart and uh, DeForest Buckner there, plug in the middle. Great third down defense there on the back end, getting some involvement from some young guys as well. Rocky Sin, uh, I think Jalen Johnson is out there. No, Jalen Johnson is Chicago, but it's Julian Blackman. who's Julian Blackman, the freshman, yeah, yeah, that's, the rookie, right, that's yeah. right. Um, but really fun group there. I just think it's a, a team you don't see hear a whole lot about the Colts defense, but they're yeah. really up and coming. I love that. Yeah, that's uh, certainly a team that we're not playing this year, but uh, we'll keep an eye on for sure. All right, Ben. Uh, don't go anywhere. We're going to go into our next segment now. It's time for our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. All right, Ben, let's talk about TJ Watt. You know, and I mentioned earlier in the podcast, last week we both, both of us loved Fred Warner at BYU. Both of us have loved Fred Warner with what he's become uh, so far in the NFL, one of the top uh, off-the-ball linebackers in the league. With TJ Watt, it's a little bit different because obviously he's been one of the most productive pass rushers in the NFL really since he's entered the league. But you and I both had pretty big questions about T.J. Watt when he was coming out. He was a little bit of a polarizing player. There were some people that really loved him. There were some people like us that had our questions. I wanted to real quick just kind of go through my notes, and I'll just kind of give the the abridged version. Only a one-year starter, tall, lanky frame. He was an outside linebacker in their 3-4. He constantly came off the one side, just like how we're seeing him use in Pittsburgh. He was 6'4 half, 250, but giant 11-inch hands. So he had the the hand size for sure. Uh, Everything you want athletically, he tested very 
very well. Uh, he had that burst. He had the agility, the change of direction. For that reason, he was great on stunts. He was used in all kinds of ways as a blitzer between the tackles as well. So I thought that he would really benefit from a similar scheme in the NFL. He would lock his arms out as an edge setter. He knew how to defend the run. He was really good in the pass game as well. Former tight end. And I thought I wrote down that that I thought really helped him in terms of uh, feeling routes and, you know, just playing in reverse. I thought he had a, a natural feel for it. And he had a really high motor, really competitive kid. My questions, though, you know, as a pass rusher, I thought he was kind of limited in terms of his overall pass rush repertoire. You know, he would try and win with a bull rush, but I didn't think his play strength really matched that. And he wasn't a guy that consistently collapsed the pocket. He would try and win with pure speed. He had a decent hand swipe and he, there was a push pull move, but there wasn't a lot there in terms of the overall pass rush skill that really got me excited personally. And I didn't think he was going to be one of those guys that was going to scare NFL tackles off the ball with his first step. Now the explosion scores, the combine, that got everybody excited. I just didn't see that from what I saw on film. And I just didn't see, like I said, the overall pass rush plan. As my bottom line on him, I wrote, like, I really like his motor. He's really good in coverage. But I didn't see a skilled enough pass rusher yet. And he needed to get a lot stronger. Uh, he should have gone back. In my opinion, I, I wrote down that I would have liked to see him go back to Wisconsin for his senior year. I thought he'd be best fit as a strong side linebacker in a 3-4. Uh, I thought he'd be a projection for a 4-3 scheme. Um, and I'd keep him standing up. But that was, that was kind of my thought. Uh, and obviously, he splits between you know st- two-point stance, three-point stance. But interested to kind of get your thoughts on T.J. Watt and, and how you've seen his transition from college to the NFL. Yeah, so this was, uh, here's a couple of my notes in my summary. I see a well-rounded football, active football player, uses hands extremely well, works to disengage, high motor, high effort player, aggressive, physical tackler, tough, absolutely dominates tight ends, ragdolls tight ends, flicks away running backs and pass pro, chases plays unblocked from the backside. However, not much production against offensive tackles, and that really worries me. I don't see an explosive athletic pass rusher. I don't see a brute strong edge setter. I don't see an elite change of direction, burst, or foot quickness. So I see some physical limitations as far as that high-end stuff you want to see from your edge rushers. But I saw a well-rounded, tough, relentless football player. And I think, Fran, I've been kind of coming off of those exciting high-side trait players into more of just the brute strong, high effort, high motor players. We've both gushed over the way Brandon Graham has played for us for the last seven, eight, nine years in Philadelphia. And I tend to lean a little bit more towards that style of player with the effort, the intensity, the brute strength at the point of attack, but not a whole lot of twitch, not a whole lot of change of direction, not a whole lot of pass rush repertoire in his game. Um, so there's definitely concerns when you watch these players, but so far in his career at the Steelers, he's done nothing but stay on the field and fall into production. And I think the ability to play the run in early downs and just be a tough, relentless player gets you on the field and that gets you opportunities to make plays. So one thing that I love, there are, there are a few takeaways here and everything that you said was, was spot on. Um, number one, with all the stunts that they run, that was one thing that I saw. I was I thought he would be really effective with it, and I think that that really helps him. Number two, the one move that I feel like he's developed really well, and it's not necessarily a tough move to master, but it works really well for him, is that he does that flat, or he'll flash the inside arm as if he's going to go long arm and then wait for the offensive tackle to shoot his hands 
and then he dips his shoulder underneath the it's punch. It's referred to as the ghost technique nowadays. Yeah, yeah that's right. And he does it so, so well, and that's something that will, I guarantee you we're going to see him ro- try that move uh, this week multiple times because that's a go-to for him, and it worked really, really well for him a year ago. I think it's going to continue to work well for him in the future. Jim Schwartz said something really interesting this week at his press conference where he talked about Jannard Avery, and he said, you know, um, you know, when Jannard first got here, he had too wide of a pass rush repertoire, and we kind of had to hone that in and, and had him focus. I thought that that was a really interesting quote, something that Matt Burke and I, the defensive line coach, had talked about here on the podcast in the summer. How, how, what does that make you like? Well, give us your follow-up on that, because I feel like that was a really interesting that we typically talk about, oh, he's got to expand his pass rush plan. He's got to improve the repertoire of moves. To hear a coach say, hey, like, we needed him to hone that in and really focus in on making one, uh, one or two of his moves really strong, I thought that was really interesting to hear him talk about that. Well, it, you know, it's you can you only have so much effort to go around. If you don't have one or two dominant moves, having 10 lackluster moves isn't going to be productive. And we've seen guys in the NFL literally survive careers with one productive move, whether it's Adrian Claiborne, who has actually a you know uh, issue with his off arm, so it limits yep. some things he could do, or whether it's Carl Lawson, who's like a third or a fourth round pick, he has one move. Is a couple things he does off that one move, but that just it just wins. He beat Jason Peters a couple weeks ago on inside move using that same move. He goes with a little stab move and a cross chop with the opposite opposite arm. But if you don't have that one go to move, you know I just don't think it's uh, you're going to be a productive pass rusher and have that you know that trait or that uh, that kind of thing to hang your hat on, that thing to go to and fall back on that you know works and you feel comfortable and confident using it. Yeah, and to me, like, it's it goes back to, like, a Dwight Freeney, right? Where, you know, Dwight Freeney, you knew that he had that ability to turn the corner, and then it was, okay, what can he do off of that? And he had those two change-ups. He had his speed to power, and he had that inside spin move. And so, so like, yeah, he had that great move. Now develop a counter off it. If you have a second counter... That's it. Like the, now, you're you're good. You, you've got the you've got the offensive tackle guessing. He's worried about speed. You've got that ability to win both high side and low side. And now, and now you're kind of cooking with gas. And, I, and that to me, like I just look at uh, T.J. Watt and his development. Uh, certainly, an interesting kind of case study for me as I kind of reflect on uh, how I view players. I know you kind of view him uh, the same way. Uh, obviously, you know, a really good player uh, that the Eagles are going to have to account for in this game. Well, Ben. Thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade. We'll talk to you next week. Don't miss your chance to be in the stands at Lincoln Financial Field this season with an Eagles fan cutout. Put on your game day best and upload a photo of yourself so that you can still join us on game days. Fan cutouts printed by Rico are only $100 with net proceeds benefiting Eagles Autism Foundation. Your purchase will also waive the registration fee for the 2021 Eagles Autism Challenge event. Order yours at PhiladelphiaEagles.com cutouts. Before we continue with this episode, it's really important that I talk about voting. And in many states, this week is the deadline for registering to vote. Here in PA, that date isn't in for another week until October 19th. But in New Jersey, it's October 13th, so we're just a few days away. Um, in Delaware, it's even less. That deadline's October 10th. It's October 7th when I'm recording this right now. So look, it is super important to vote. And if you uh, have not registered yet, Uh, All you have to do is text EAGLES, E-A-G-L-E-S, 
to the number 26797. Again, that's E-A-G-L-E-S to the number 26797 on your cell phone, uh, and you can get registered to vote. You cannot register at the polls on Election Day. You've got to get registered beforehand. I've said it before on the show over the last couple of weeks, 100 million people, eligible voters, did not participate in the general election back in 2016. So all you have to do is to go on there. You, you can find, you can register to vote. You can check on your registration. After that, that's where you can figure out, okay, what's the best way to vote for you? Do you want to vote in person early on, which uh, is happening right, right right now? You can go and vote at a poll uh, around the country. It's different in every state and every district, but you can go look that information up. You can vote by mail, which is also available all across the country right now, or obviously you wait until November 3rd. But Look, it is super, super important that all of our voices are heard uh, each and every year during the elections and during a general election, during a presidential election. It's even more important. Um, It's all of our civic duty to make sure that all of our voices are heard. So go out and vote on November 3rd. Hope you guys enjoyed that segment uh, earlier with Ben Fennell, who you can follow on Twitter just like I do, at Ben Fennell underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know, I greatly appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, give us a rating, or even leave us a comment. If you leave us a question, I will answer it here on the show. On Monday, you leave a question now. I'll answer it for Monday's show. If you want to wait till after the game, you leave it on Sunday. It'll get answered on Monday night with uh, myself and Greg Cosell. So make sure you go on, leave us that rating, leave us that comment. It's the best way to throw us your support as we get through this unique 2020 season. All right, let's wrap this show up. I caught up with Brandon Graham to talk about his growth as a pass rusher. Let's get to that one-on-one right now. Well, welcome to our one-on-one presented by Bob's Discount Furniture. This week, really happy to welcome in Eagles defensive end Brandon Graham. Brandon, thanks for joining me, man. Oh, man, thank you for having me. So let's talk about it, man. Let's talk about your history uh, as a pass rusher, as an athlete. When did you Talk about just football now. When did you first make that move to be a a full-time pass rusher? Like, when when did that happen for you? Uh, When I got up to Michigan uh, my my freshman year, uh, I had gained some weight, and, you know, Coach Carr was like, uh, we're going to put him in a D-line room. And so Lamar Woodley kind of took me under his wing mm. and, you know, started to help me. And, you know, I just started to just do whatever coach asked me to do, and I grinded from that point, you know. To, uh, but I always had good um, examples in front of me. And so, um, you know, I just tried to do everything uh, I could to watch them, and then that's how I got started. So you were a, you were a linebacker in high school, right? Was there a guy that you, like, emulated and you are like, man, this is, this is who I'm going to be when I get to, to Michigan or to the league? Uh, Ray Lewis, you know, because yeah. he was a hard-hitting. Uh, I mean, you know, you see how he hit Eddie George and all those guys. Like, he was he was feared, you know, and that's all I wanted, you know, because uh, in, in high school, uh, people, when I left, people were like, man, I was so happy you left, and you don't know you don't you don't know you leave that mark until you leave, and then people start telling you what the game plan was, just get 55, get 55. And so, you know, it made me feel good, and, you know, from that point, you know, um, I always wanted to be Ray Lewis, but, you know, I started to see – uh, that I could I could start being that, but then I gained weight, which was a good thing because I'm happy where I'm at right now, you know. But um, you know, at first it was hard for me because I played middle linebacker just like Ray, and you know when they switched me, I didn't take it well at first. But then uh, Lamar uh, helped me a whole lot. So I think I know the answer to this question, but I need to hear it from you first. I read that you ran a four four three. 
in high school as Nike a linebacker? Camp. Nike camp? Nike camp. Is that legit? Like, That's I, I need legit. to Because, <laughs> you know, I ran a 4.59 when I came out. Yep. Uh, yep. But, you know, um, I'm talking about, like, no, what was it? 4.69 when yep. I came out um, for the combine. But that, that's that's older me. But, okay. you know, yeah, when I came out, I was, like, 225. What are you running these days? Uh, I ain't no five. <laughs> I, but I'm for sure probably 4.7, four, 4.6. Four, I'm 4.8. Yep. Yep, for sure. All right, well, Brandon, take us back. When you were younger, when you were a kid, what other sports did you play? Uh, what was your favorite sport growing up? Uh, I had played uh, basketball, even though I didn't put too much time into it like I like I did football. Mm. That was one of the games that I, I'm, I mean, now that I got a son, I'm going to learn all the fundamentals as he go so we can go out there and play play together, you know, at least know the fundamentals and know exactly how to play the game. Uh, playing in the game and, you know, you, you know, you know the game, but, you know, I never had to – I never been on a team where, you know, it was just like, oh, man, this is your this is your life. You're trying to get to the next level. And you know how different it is. You got to put that extra work in. I didn't really have that growing up. But uh, basketball was one. Track and field, uh, I ran track. I ran 100, 200. Like you said, I ran a 4-4 um, coming out. So I was fast then. I ran a 10-9 and 100. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was mm-hmm. moving at that point, you know. But, um, yeah, I threw the shot put. Uh, through the discus uh, just to get points and stuff like that. But, yeah, pretty much uh, track and field, basketball, and football. Did that track background, you feel like, help you when it came to, like, getting ready for the combine and the 40 and the and the cone drills and things like that? I felt like it kept me in shape all year round mm. because as soon as we get done with football, springtime come, here come track and field. And, you know, we had a, a good track team, but our coach, was, the coach was the one that, that got us all in shape because we used to have to run heels and all kind of different stuff that she kind of, you know, created herself. But, you know, um, it was it was cool because um, I didn't know what I was really doing. I just was following people lead, and I'm, gl- I'm glad I had some good uh, leadership uh, during that time. And you had you mentioned Lamar Woodley, who was, uh, I believe, a second-round pick of the Pittsburgh Steelers, ironically, uh, and you know, went on to have a nice NFL career, did a really good job in the league for a long time. Was, the, was he the guy who helped you kind of, like, uh, really fall, you know, things, helped things, things to click as a pass rusher? Who else kind of took you under their wing? A uh, guy named Rondell Biggs. Um, you know, I knew him coming in, and I stayed at his house, actually, mm-hmm. Uh, during the whole summer when I first came up, before I got all my stuff together, uh, Rondell, you know, he, he, him and Woodley used to hang out a lot. So, you know, of course, I'm, I'm all hyped because Woodley, a senior coming up, he got all these all these big uh, awards and stuff that he's up for and all that stuff. And, you know, it was just a guy that um, that I could, you know, look look to and, um, you know, really watch the example every day. So, you know, uh, just seeing him beat Jake Long and him and Jake Long having battles, it kind of reminded me of um, uh, me and Lane now. Like, mm-hmm. me and Lane, you know, I go out there, beat up on Lane, Lane beat up on me, you know what I'm saying, just depending on the day. And, you know, it's just we getting each other better. But it's just funny uh, when, when you start to see certain stuff that start happening that – that you reminisce on uh, from way back when. So a couple weeks ago in this segment, I talked with uh, Vinnie Curry, and we talked about just the – the amount of coaches that you guys have had, you know, in that D-line room and, and the different schemes and things like that. When you look at, at your career and you say, like, you know, the the success you had early on and really what, how you kind of built off, you've, you've talked in the past about how you've kind of fought through the injury uh, and how you came out on the other side of that. When do you feel like the 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 lights really, like, flicked on for you where you were like, man, like, all right, like, I'm, re- I'm ready to be a pro. Like, was there a moment that you can kind of think of uh, in your career where that things just kind of clicked? You know, the year um, Coach Reed got fired, those last five games, when I had five sacks in five games, you know, it was like I was just getting it. And then 
Chip Kelly came and then the defense switched on me. Yep. And so um, that that kind of set me back a little bit. But I had uh, T. Cole, you know, because T. Cole, every day he going to work regardless. And both of us was in the same boat. He didn't want to go to 3-4 either. You know, he was comfortable with what we was in, the attack defense, like which we in now. And that, that played to our strengths. And so, you know, uh, just seeing him get through it and seeing him work hard to get better in that scheme, you know, it made it pushed me to get better. And so um, the first year was was all right. But second and third year after that, you know, I started to feel good about it. And then we got back to our home, homeland, and that's uh, the 4-3. And, you know, obviously T. Cole wasn't here during that time, but I do uh, take some of the stuff that he taught me uh, when, I, when he was here by just going hard every day, making sure that I don't take no plays off and, you know, just be me. What was it that helped that in back in 2012 in those last five games? Was was it a, a, a what was it that helped that that light turn on for you? Uh, what helped? What helped was just. You know, first off, we was in this attack defense, and, you know, um, once I learned exactly what the coaches was looking for and, you know, how to do it, um, I mean, I just started feeling comfortable. And then when you make plays, you know, you really start to – you really want to get that thing right. And so um, I had Jim Washburn during the time, and he was a hard coach on us, you know, but at the same time I didn't realize I was, you know, starting to, you know, uh, become better and uh, with my technique and a lot of stuff because of repetition and what, um, you know, he put us through every day. But, you know, uh, it, it showed up in those last five games when I finally got to start. Uh, Babbitt had just got released, uh, and, you know, we just took off. I just took off from there. Uh, I just felt like the, the handcuffs was off me. Last question for you, Brandon. We'll get you out of here. The, uh, you know, there's been a lot written. You've talked a lot about that senior bowl when you were coming out in 2010. And this week on the Journey of the Draft podcast, I had a debut a new segment. I talked with the Eagle Scout with Anthony Patch, and he talked about you coming out of college, you know, the senior bowl, and, and you know, that whole experience for you. If you could go back in time and talk to 2010 Brandon Graham coming fresh out of Michigan, go blue, what's the word of advice that you would give to, to young BG as he's getting ready to start his NFL career? Uh, make sure that you uh, keep – make sure you, you eat right. Make sure that you keep working hard, you know, because I felt like I worked hard the whole senior bowl mm. because uh, of the coaches that I had. You know, right. like Chris, um, he he's uh, over with the 49ers, and that's how he got them boys going the same way. But, you know, it was just I, – I, I, I would say make sure that you take full advantage of, uh, of every opportunity that you get. Well, BG, thanks so much for joining us here uh, for our one-on-one. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you soon, man. Thank you. Thanks so much to Brandon Graham and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We'll talk to you next week.